Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you, family. Uh, if you're new to South City, we're so glad you're with us today. Uh, my name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here at South City, and we're just blessed that you're with us. And uh, thank you, team. Sean, so good to have you with us, man. Um, I wanted to say thank you to Pastor Elvis for stepping up last week. Had a dear friend um, pass away, um, and so my family had to go to Houston last week to um, help and serve the family. Uh, so I just appreciate Pastor Elvis stepping up for us. We've been in a series in the book of Ephesians, and God has really just given me such a love for this letter. You know, you can imagine, Paul spent more time in Ephesus than he spent anywhere else on the missionary journeys. So you can imagine the relationships are deeper, right? There's more significance there. There's more, the relationship is just, it's just real. The longer you're with somebody, the more you, you love and the more you know and the more you put up with, right? Um, and so you just know that there's just, as he writes this, he's writing this to faces and, and stories and names of people that he loves so dearly. And we see that. Now, the book of Ephesians is interesting because it kind of breaks down in two different parts. The first part is that the first three chapters have a lot to do with theology and doctrine and things to do about God, uh, the things that, that give us the truth of who God is. And then the second half, chapters 4 through 6, really tell us really specific information on how to live as a result of who God is. And so he gets very specific. Paul contrasts who we don't need to be with who we need to be. This is what it looks like when you weren't in Christ. This is what it looks like now that you are in Christ. And he does such an amazing job helping us understand this is what the people of God should look like. Our lives should be different than the world, right? They need to look different than the world. He uses phrases like this, we got to put off evil things and put on Christ. Uh, we we got to go from being the darkness to now living in the light. He, he gives examples, specific examples of how not to live and yet how to live. And I love Paul's prayers. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Paul prays these prayers. And what does Paul pray for? Paul prays that we would grow in Jesus. That we would know him, but that our, our experience with Jesus would be greater than knowledge that we would love him, that, that we would just be immersed in the beauty of what the gospel does in our lives. And so he prays, Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3, God, help them to know you. Help them to love you. Help them to experience in you in, in such a way that surpasses just knowledge. And so we see that he really wants to teach us what does it mean for a believer in Jesus to walk in Christ. You know, sometimes we, uh, we teach, sometimes we look at texts that can, that can seem very black and white, right? And, and it causes us to go, oh, that's, that's real specific, and oh, it scares me, you know, in ways. And, and so I just want to say, I want to ask this question, is it possible that Christians, we just, we never make mistakes, we never fall? No, of course. Of course we make mistakes, and that's, I'm so grateful for the grace and mercy of Jesus, Right? And yet, also, what, what Paul is speaking even last week, and, and, and especially in the second half of Ephesians, is your life as a mature follower of Jesus, however, needs to look more like the rescue and the redemption of the gospel of Jesus in your life than who you were. Right? Needs to look more like who you are in him than who you were. 
So I want to jump in this morning, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 15 to 21. Ephesians 5, 15 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. A beautiful passage about maturity in Jesus today. We're going to dig into it in just a minute. Would you pray with me uh, as we get into this? Lord, Father, we just want to submit this word to you. We want to submit this text to you. We want to submit our lives to you, God, that you would help us to begin to dig into this and understand what a life of maturity in Jesus needs to look like. It was Paul's prayer that the churches, that the people of Ephesus take on a maturity in Jesus. And God, it's our prayer this morning that you would do that work at South City Church. That you would do it in my life, that you would do it in each of our lives. That we would know you and love you and we would walk in maturity in you. Spirit of the living God, I pray that you would move us to all truth. Help us to see exactly what you want us to know and live out. Give us the courage to live it out. I pray, Father God, that you would help me to decrease in this time and you to increase. And God, that you would work and move in us powerfully because of your wonderful and amazing word. The Spirit of God moving in us, teaching us. Father, that's our prayer today. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So Paul has, has used different uh, methods in his writing. In, in several different places he's written, especially in Ephesians, he writes to the individual. And then he writes to the church. He writes to the corporate group. So, so today is no different. We have some individual specific things that he thinks we need to do. And he has some corporate things that we need to do, right? I kind of counted about seven of these. And the message today is entitled Marks of Maturity. So we're going to have about seven different marks of maturity in Jesus. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, right? You, you, you're sitting there, you're looking at me, you're, you're ready to read, you're ready to learn. And you know in your heart and soul, if you were to die today, you're going to heaven. And God has changed your life and he's growing you and he's growing you in sanctification. Then there ought to be a process of maturity. And we ought to get to certain places uh, that honor Jesus. Not because we're so awesome. Not because we finally get it, right? But that God is doing this work in us. And he's changing us from who we were to look more like Jesus to who he wants us to be. And so that's what we're going to talk about, these marks of maturity. Uh, Paul has mentioned this walk thing several times, six times in fact in uh, the text that we've covered in Ephesians. The first one he said in Ephesians 2, he said, once you walked in darkness. This is a very Hebraic kind of metaphor that he's using. Chapter 4, he says, walk in a manner worthy of our calling. He also says in the same chapter, don't walk as the Gentiles. Chapter 5, three th things. He says, walk in love as Christ. Then he says, walk as children of light. And today he's saying, look carefully how you walk as wise. I, this phrase, look carefully, I couldn't help but think about, you know, it's turning spring, it's getting a little warmer, which means 
snakes are coming out. I hate snakes. I hate them. I, I really do. Uh, and and I, I thought this would be kind of a fun little game. Imagine there's a game here, and I just would say, hey, here's a trail through the woods. Now, you need to know that the trail is covered with venomous snakes. And if they bite you, you're dead. So here's your options. You get to put a blindfold on and skip down the trail. That's option number one. Door number two is you actually get to put on snake-proof pants, snake-proof guards. Uh, you get a big stick. You get to take all the time in the world. Right? What door are you going to choose? What an idiot would choose door one. Right? A fool. It doesn't make sense. You're going to go, uh, yeah, I think I'll take door number two and be prepared. But how many of us in life walk out this life blinded, without a care in the world, skipping through this venomous, fallen, darkened world? Don't we? We don't get prepared. We don't worry about the future. We don't worry about spiritual things as much as we need to. And yet, Paul is saying, this world is filled with things that are going to kill you. John 10.10 10 says, Jesus, Jesus says this, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy your life. But I've come to bring you life abundantly. Right? You get the choice of how you're prepared. So Christian, are you prepared? Are you ready to walk, to look carefully at how you walk? That is, I think, in essence, kind of what Paul is, is speaking to us this morning about how we walk. First thing he says is when you walk, walk with wisdom, not as unwise. Now, I want you to notice the first thing about these. Each one of these has sort of a, a positive command and sort of a negative warning, most of them. Right? There's kind of a, a, a weight to these. So walk is not as unwise, but walk is wise. Are you wise in your life? Do you walk with wisdom? If right now you're kind of going, eh, not so sure I do. Let me tell you, there's a book in the Bible, there's several books in the Bible, books of wisdom, they call them. But the, the main one is Proverbs. In almost every chapter, in several verses in almost every chapter, it speaks of what wisdom is and what wisdom is not. So if you want to learn and grow in wisdom, study Proverbs. And it's also cool that Proverbs has 31 chapters, and you can add one to every day of your life, right? For every month, you can just go to that proverb and learn in, in wisdom. James 1 says, if you lack wisdom, ask the Father, he'll give it to you, right? And if we were obedient to Jesus this morning, Jesus said that wisdom is when you hear God's word and command, not just hear it, but obey it. That's wisdom. So if you hear today, but you don't apply what you hear in your life, that's foolishness. But wisdom is hearing God's word and applying it in our lives with how we live. So God is saying, walk with wisdom. Have wisdom in your life. The second thing he says is uh, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Paul's talking about time management. Isn't that interesting? What does that have to do with anything? Right? He, he wants to give clarity again through this to what mature uh, faith in Jesus looks like compared to immaturity, compared to the world. Why does Paul care about time here? Because it's the one resource you'll never get back. I love the story of Esther, and I love the phrase in Esther that says, she, it was for such a time as this. You know, we, we talk about that. Friends, it's not just Esther, it's you. You are breathing air right now in this moment for such a time as this. Do you get that? 
I don't think we do sometimes. I think sometimes we just get up and we do our thing. We get in our routine. We just do our hobbies. We do our jobs. We live our lives. But God has a greater plan and purpose if you know Jesus as your Savior. He has a ministry for you to live and walk. We need to, to know that. That for such a time as this, you're alive. And God has a plan for that in your life. Time, it's, it's a difficult thing. Some of us are better at time management than others. I hate the little, honestly, if I'm honest, I hate the little thing that Facebook does when it comes up and tells you how much time you've spent on Facebook. Has anyone looked at that and went, oh, I did pretty good today. Pretty good this week. Never have I said that. Every time it comes up, I go, oh, my gosh. Right? I go, Lord, because I know I've wasted time. Now, it is, I'm using it as a ministry tool. I'm using it in different ways. But the main feeling I feel when I see that is, Lord, why did I spend so much time here instead of somewhere else? It's so easy to waste time. But a mature believer in Jesus knows that time is fleeting. You know, the older I get, the days get shorter, the weeks get shorter, the months get shorter. My kids go, whoa, what just happened? Time is fleeting. We don't get it back. I think you've made a good choice this morning with the use of your time. But it's a, it's a commodity that we don't get back. The Bible talks about having a good understanding of, of how precious and fleeting time is. Psalm 90 says, teach us to number our days. Psalm 39 says, remind us of the measure of our days, how fleeting we are. Paul mentions in one of these other prisons, these sister letters that he wrote from uh, prison in Rome, Colossians, that good time management actually could have uh, an effect on the world. Look here, Colossians 4 verse 5 says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of your time. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about your ministry, your greater purpose in life. When you make good use of your time, God can use you for the purpose that he's called you to. God can use you for however he wants to use you when you've made a good use of your time, when we waste it, when we let it fly by, when we don't use it intentionally, that doesn't honor God. Mature believers in Jesus begin to work on their time management. Some of you are going, okay, I need to work on that a little bit more. Me too. I honestly think Paul would say that mature followers of Christ know that every moment matters. Every single moment matters. We've been given these moments to know Jesus and to make him known. Look at Ephesians 5.17. It says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, this is kind of connected, I think, because it goes with time management in the sense that people who have a grasp on their time, how fleeting it is, and they use it well, that's using it wisely. And if you don't, it's foolishness. Paul says here, this third mark of maturity, to don't be a fool, understand God's will. God's will is one of those things that, I don't know about you, but there have been times it's like, how can I know your will? This, this thing that's out here, I don't, that's not true. We can know God's will. I want to talk to you about two specific aspects of God's will. Number one is God's revealed will. If you have a Bible today, you're holding God's revealed will, and you can know it. As you study it, as you live in it, as you grow in it, as you learn more about it in, in, in Equip, in your city group, in your triad, in your personal quiet time with Jesus, 
you're digging into his revealed word and you can know the will of the Father. Isn't that awesome? How can we understand God's will? We know his word. There's also something called his specific will. So it's, should I take that job? Should I leave that job? Should I date this person? Who should I marry? These things are things that God has given us the body of Christ for. So yes, we glean truth from his revealed will, but we also have the body of Christ to go, pray for me. What do you think? This is also an opportunity to seek the Lord in prayer. Right? So we have his revealed will and his specific will. Paul says, wisdom and maturity in Jesus is understanding God's will. If you don't, it's foolishness. So I just ask you this question. Do you know and live by God's word? Is that a major factor in your life? Or is it sort of like a, eh, not really. It's the difference in foolishness and wisdom. Psalm 14.1 says, a fool says in his heart there is no God. Proverbs 1 says, fools despise wisdom and discipline. Proverbs 18 says, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their opinions. You know anybody like that? <laughs> Don't know none of this right now. You only want to air your opinions. Man, there's a lot of topics out there. There's a lot of radio shows out there. A lot of newscasts out there that a lot of opinions. Can I just tell you, if you are a follower of Jesus and you want to be a mature follower of Jesus, let what comes out of your heart and your mouth be the word of God over your opinion. Over your opinion. That's the best way to be safe to know, hey, what, what comes out of me needs to be God's word. Because the Bible says our hearts are deceptive. They're deceitful. They're wicked. And how many times our opinion can go the way of our hearts instead of the way of God's word. Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. I want to remind you of Ephesus. What, what is Ephesus? Ephesus is this place that is wine country. It is Greek culture. It is hedonism on steroids. So wine, drunkenness, debauchery, darkness, idolatry, paganism, that is the culture. It's a dark place. Wine and drunkenness was just, I mean, it's just like water. So he's speaking directly to this issue of drunkenness. Can I just say, for mature believers in Jesus should not be drunk. It's a sin. We don't get drunk. It's clear in God's word. Drunkenness is a sin. All right? So it should never be a part of the life uh, of a believer. Now, I also want to say this. He's speaking to wine. But there's a lot of other things that can get you drunk. Right? There's substances that can get you inebriated. Even pornography can, can cause a dopamine thing in your mind that causes you to lose control. There are things in our lives that can inebriate and cause us to be drunk. None of those things honor Christ, and a mature believer shouldn't have it in his life. A mature follower of Jesus lives a life of sobriety, right? Don't get drunk, he says, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Well, what does that look like? Well, I do want to say, you know, they say if you're drunk, you're under the influence of alcohol. If you're filled with the Spirit, you're under the influence of the Spirit. But some people, some denominations, some believers take that and go, 
well, if I'm drunk over here in alcohol and I'm kind of out of my brain, I must be drunk over here in the spirit and I can be out of my brain over here. And I can fall out, I can do whatever I want, and it doesn't, there's no consequence to however silliness I'm acting. That does not honor God. In fact, when you're filled with the Spirit, you actually have more self-control, not less. Look at Galatians. Chapter 5, verse 22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Self-control. When we're filled with the Spirit, we're a people of self-control. We know who God wants us to be. A spirit-filled person is in right relationship with God. A spirit-filled person is in right relationship with his family, the church. A spirit-filled person can walk his life out in the community in a way that honors God and draws them to the beauty, the winsomeness of who Jesus is. That's what a spirit-filled person does. But I want to say this to us as a family. If you have a habit of inebriation, whether it's in, from alcohol or substance, pornography, whatever the case may be, whether you're getting drunk or high or whatever the case may be, it's more than the fact that you like the taste of something or you have a little issue. Friends, you have a deeper issue in your soul and you need to address it as a mature believer in Jesus because a mature believer in Jesus lives a life of sobriety. Okay. Now, I also want to say this. You are loved. You are deeply loved. But if this is an issue in your life, if there's an issue of dependence, you need to realize that God has called us to be dependent upon Christ. That he is the one who meets and satisfies our lives, not the idol of drunkenness or inebriation. And honestly, if that's something that you habitually go to, you need to know that there's some brokenness in your soul that you're trying to medicate. I want you to listen. If this is you, if there's, if there's times where you go to one of these things and you call it freedom, it's called sin, friends, from the Bible. We, we need to understand it doesn't, it doesn't honor Jesus. And the reality is, is we're going to those things because something's broken in us. We want to medicate. We, we don't want to think about those things. We, we want to not think about anything. And so let me go to this thing that will soothe my pain will soothe the memory, will, will take away whatever it is I'm struggling with. That's God's job. It's Jesus' job to meet our needs, to heal our souls. And when we place a substance in front of him, it's an idol and it's sin. And may we repent of it and love one another through the process. You will be loved. And I just want to say today when we finish our service... If this is an issue for you, if this is something you're praying about for a family member, let's pray about it. Know that you are safe in this family to grow and change, to be accepted because of the, the price that Jesus has paid for you. You're safe here. We want to love you and help you through those issues. Mature followers of Jesus don't get drunk, they don't get high, they live in sobriety, and they seek to be filled with the Spirit of God. I like this quote from... <laughs> Master preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, not only is a preacher and theologian, but he was also a, med a medical doctor. He says, alcohol depresses first and foremost the highest centers of all the brain. They control everything that gives a man self-control, wisdom, understanding, discrimination, judgment, balance, the power to assess everything. In other words, everything that makes a man behave at his very best and highest. If it were possible, he says, to put the Holy Spirit into a textbook of pharmacology, I would put him under the stimulants for 
That is where he belongs. He really does stimulate. He stimulates our every faculty, the mind, the intellect, the heart, and the will. When we live as people filled with the Spirit, right, it gives us more self-control, more love, more fruit of the Spirit. So Paul's given us four specific kind of individual marks, right? He says, live with wisdom. Live with wisdom. Have good time management knowing that God has a purpose for your life. And it's not about you. Man, it took me a long time to start to figure that out. And I struggle with it every day. This life is not about me. It's about him. It's about his mission. It's about me being alive for Christ to be used for his glory for such a time as this. Whatever that means. May I decrease. My life doesn't matter. Only he matters. And when we have good time management, we get that. So we have wisdom. We need to have time management. We need to know and do God's will in our lives. We need to live with sobriety and be filled with the Spirit. Right? Those are the four uh, individual things. And then he says there's also some things we need to do as a community. Look at the last little section of our text, Ephesians 5.19. He says, while you're filled with the Spirit... Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul has written the book of Ephesians, and almost all of the books he writes in the New Testament, to the church. To a community of people. We don't live life on an island as individuals. And the church is not something you attend or watch or spectate. The church is something you belong to. It's a family. And so mature believers in Jesus are a part of a family. He writes to a family. He says, when you're in this family and you're filled with the Spirit, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, i got to be honest with you. When I first read this, I went in my mind for two or three minutes on what it would look like if, if church was a musical. That was funny. I'm not a fan of musicals. Just, I love music. I'm not a fan of musicals. Uh, but it was hilarious, by the way. I wish you could have seen what played out in my brain. Um, it's not referring to church as a musical. We don't have to walk into church and go, good morning, Miss Julie and Jeff. You know, we don't have to do that, right? It's not a musical. We don't have to sing to each other in that regard. Thank you, Lord. But this is what he's referring to. We did it this morning. When we lifted our voices together in worship, when we sang and we felt the presence of one another. You know, Pastor Elvis took a picture of me. Uh, one of the days that we were shut down in COVID early on, he was sitting over here, and I was getting ready to come preach to the camera. And I was sitting over here praying, and he got a picture of the room empty with me praying in the front row. I keep it because it's a sad, very sad picture to me. It's a picture of what the church is not supposed to look like. Voices weren't happening in here. Worship wasn't encouraging one another. Isn't it beautiful when we sing together and you can just, 
close your eyes and take in the beauty of the voices of your brothers and sisters. There's something unbelievable. The atmosphere changes. Something absolutely gorgeous happens when the human voice joins other human voices in worship. I love music. You know I do. I love instruments. I love cello. I love piano. I, I, I love all these, these instruments, symphony. But nothing is more beautiful than the instrument of the human voice. Nothing. There was a girl who sang at this funeral. Um, she's a member of the group Avalon. She sang at this funeral, and as she sang, I just took my breath away. I just closed my eyes, and I, I let the gifting of her voice just lead me to Jesus. It was unbelievable, and I, just, I was thinking about that this morning. What a beautiful gift and moment that she used her gifting in that way. It's such a beautiful thing, and, and when we do this together, when we may not feel like it, right? There's mornings you kind of go, I just don't feel like singing. Sing. <laughs> Make a joyful noise if you have to. But it's also a command of God. Psalm 33 says, sing for the joy in the Lord, you, uh, oh you righteous ones. He says, sing praises to him. Sing to him a new song. Psalm 96, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Psalm 34 uh, says, sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. Psalm 47, 6, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises. Psalm 95, 1, oh come let us sing for joy to the Lord, let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. I could go on and on, I just picked a tiny little few. <laughs> I could go on and on for all the references of God's commandment for us as believers to sing do you know singing worship is one of the only things that we can do on this side of heaven that we're going to do on that side of heaven? Isn't that interesting? As you sing, this will be the same thing that happens before the throne room of God. Revelation 15.3 says, they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, great and marvelous are your works. We're called and commanded to sing. So what is the deal about psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? What, what is a psalm? It's God's word. Right? Psalms are God's word. So when we sing psalms, that's what we're doing. We're singing God's word to, we, to each other, and we should. A hymn. A hymn is, is there's songs of our faith. There's songs of our experience. There's songs of our doctrine, songs of our tradition in ways. And incorporating scripture. Spiritual songs, that's any song that leads us to Jesus. Any, whether you've written it or somebody else has written it, songs that encourage our faith, remind us of who he is and who we are. Spiritual songs. So Paul says, not only here but also in Colossians, sing this way. Sing corporately. Let this be a blessing to you. Have, <clears throat> have you been to a funeral? And this is, I get a, I get a unique perspective as a singer. When I, when I go to a funeral and I can look at my brothers and sisters who are dying inside. When I can look at my friends who are going through the hardest moment of their life. And I can sing. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea below. Whatever 
could look at their face and I could say, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. There's something holy when brothers and sisters sing God's word, God's hymns, God's songs to one another. We go, it's going to be okay. There's something happening that's greater than this moment. There's something happening in life that's greater than this life, friend. Don't forget it. And when we encourage each other with our voices, oh, what a blessing it is. You know, singing is the thing that happy people do. I love, I love my house. I love my kids. I love my, my wife because no, we have all kinds of singing going on nonstop. Sometimes it drives me a little batty. I mean, just the other day, no kidding, I was just sitting there having coffee and talking to Jesus. And my girls came down, both of them, at different times. And they turn songs into anything. So it's like, getting some orange juice, Dad. I'm getting some orange juice. Going to grab a Pop-Tart. I'm, I'm just like, I love it. They turn the dumbest stuff into these little songs. Why? Because they have joy. And when you sing to one another, you're saying, hey, take some joy. Borrow some of my joy if you need it today. That's the beauty of the body of Christ Look what science says. It says, neuroscience proves that group singing makes us happier, healthier, smarter, and more creative. Every time you sing, you fire up the right temporal lobe of your brain and release endorphins, including oxytocin, which result in heightened states of pleasure, bliss, bonding, and love. These chemicals also enhance neuroplasticity of our brains, boost our immune system, fight illness, depression, and strokes, and help us to handle pain better. You better be singing. I'm not going to shut church down. We need to be here singing worship to Jesus and encouragement to one another. Mature believers in Jesus sing. They sing to the Lord. They sing to one another. And this text also says we sing in our hearts. In other words, you have a corporate reality of singing and you have an internal life of worship. That you sing even that doesn't include notes. It doesn't include melody. It's just, it's something maybe that's in your heart or maybe the melody is in your heart. Ephesians 5.20, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, when we encourage one another, when we worship, let it come from a heart of gratefulness and thanksgiving. It's so important that we're thankful people. In fact, one of the most obvious signs of an immature faith is a lack of gratefulness. It's a lack of gratefulness. It's a lack of not understanding how good God has been. And also, it's hard to believe but a lack of gratefulness is the gateway to a life of sinfulness. Look with me in Romans 1, 21. We looked at this just the other day. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. You remember talking about that? It starts with a lack of gratefulness. A downward spiral of sin in your life begins not acknowledging the greatness and goodness and kindness of our God. 
We need to be a thankful people. I also want you to notice that there's no qualifiers here. Look what he says. Give thanks always. Give thanks only when dot, dot, dot. No. Give thanks always. Give thanks because dot, dot, dot. No. Give thanks always and for everything. There is no qualifier statement. There's no condition. Do it always and for everything, regardless of your situation, regardless of the pain, difficulty, struggle, whatever's going on in your life, God is still good and you have something to be thankful for. There's never a situation in the life of a mature believer in Jesus that we can't be thankful. Never. And I know some of you have been through some difficult stuff. I'm praying for you and thinking through some of you, some of the stuff you're walking through. And thinking about this and going, friend, with all that you can, muster together the things you're thankful for and give God great gratefulness and thankfulness for his goodness. And Paul says, be thankful in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus. He says this, I referenced this text a minute ago. Uh, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever it is we're doing, whether we're dwelling or learning or admonishing, critiquing, holding each other accountable, singing, whatever it is that we do, let's do it with thankfulness and in Jesus' name. I love that Paul has done this so many times through Ephesians. I've tried to make a note of it, but look at the Trinitarian mention again here. In our text, we're filled with the Spirit. We give thanks to God the Father, and we do it all in the name of Jesus. Why do we do it in the name of Jesus? Because it's all about Jesus. We would have no relationship with a holy God apart from Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, right? He has, he's torn the veil between us. He's our only hope. We, we would have no hope with one another in our different cultures, in our different ways. But in Ephesians 2, Paul said, Christ has broken down the wall of hostility because of his cross. We do all these things in the name of Jesus because it's all about Jesus. And then lastly, as we close, verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Listen, you know you're maturing in your faith. When you can submit to one another. Again, no qualifier here. No, no thing that says submit to the leadership. Submit to certain people. Submit to the people that you really love. Your family or this. No, th submit to one another. Right? It's as if Paul is saying here, there's no one greater than anyone else. And there's no one who gets a pass to submission. We all submit. And what we see is Jesus modeled this. Right? He modeled this with his, his team. He said, guys, this is not going to be, they were talking about leadership. They were talking about recognition, hierarchy. And Jesus said, no, 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 that's not who we're going to be. We're not going to be like that. We're going to be people who submit to one another. And he shows us in John 13 when he says, I've given you an example after he washes their feet. I've given you this example that you should do just as I have done to you. We're talking about service, submission. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger 
greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Friends, we don't have a choice when it comes to the body of Christ. We submit to one another. We serve one another, every one another, (laughs) because that honors Christ. We don't do it because we're gifted. I'm really good at submitting to people. (laughs) We don't do it because I really like them, so I'll submit. We do it because we reverence Jesus. Another phrase there that you could use is because we fear God. To reverence Jesus or fear God is sort of the same thing. How do you feel about Jesus? How you feel about him, how you love him, determines your ability in maturity to submit yourself to one another. This is one of the things I love about our elder team is the fact that, you know, we're, we're elder-led, which means, and I say this all the time, I'm one, of pa- I'm one of the pastors here. We have five elders and two other pastors who lead this church. And we're led with all of their gifting. And it's so beautiful to watch as we, in these meetings, we might get stuck on some issue or some direction we need to go, and we, we look at the person who we know is most gifted in that area and go, Jeff, lead us through this. What do we need to do? Scott, you're so gifted in this. Lead us through this. And we move around power. We move around uh, deference. It's beautiful. It's biblical. It's submitting one to another, and it causes unity. I also say this. Mutual submission is a sign of a surrendered life. It's a sign of a surrendered heart to the Lord. You know, it's not easy. But when you can be corrected, when somebody can come up to you, to you and correct you, challenge you, and you don't just bow up, oh yeah, well, da, 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 but you can just listen. Okay? Okay, I'll consider that. Thank you. I'll, I'll pray about that. If they do it in love, wonderful. Even if they don't, they're mean, they're belligerent, they're hurtful, even then we submit. Even then we listen, and even then we can learn. I don't know how many times that's happened to me, and I was mad and hurt, and then I went, they're right. We have to learn to submit one to another. Jesus said, it will be different with you. You will not lord power over one another. That's not who we are. So there's seven things. Seven realities of maturity in Jesus that Paul has mentioned this morning, right? Number one, wisdom. Do you have wisdom in your life? Do you live life with time management, a consideration of how fleeting this life is and that God wants to use you for his glory right now for such a time as this? We understand and do the will of God as people in in maturity in Jesus. We live a life of sobriety and seek to be filled with his spirit. We, We sing and encourage other believers we sing in our hearts in a personal style of worship to the Lord. That's, that's what mature believers do. And we submit to one another because of Jesus. Because of what he's done for us. That's what it looks like to walk a life of maturity in Jesus. Hey, listen, if there's one of these issues that you need, I've, I've been convicted in some of these this week. And so I'm praying that God would work in my heart. And change me. If maybe there's something that's going on in your heart or your life that you need the Spirit of God to accompany and empower and encourage you. Maybe you need to pray with, with me or somebody else in the room. Maybe you just need to come and, and bow before the Lord at the altar in your seat. 
Whatever you want to do, I want to give you the ability to do that. But God is calling us not back to the old life, not back to the old man, not back to the things that we were or did. Friend, don't go back there. It's death. He's calling us to abundant life. And abundant life looks different than death, doesn't it? Abundant life looks like maturity in Jesus. And I pray that today's text encourages us in that direction. Pray with me. Father, we love you. I thank you for your word, God. I thank you, Lord, that as mistaken and sinful as I have been, and at times continue to be, how kind and good and gracious you are to me, Lord. And I am thankful today. Because I know who I've been. I know what I've done. I know who I would be without accountability and community and the church in my life. I know the mistakes I've made and I know that my sin is ever before you, God. But I also know that greater than my sin is your grace. Greater than my mistakes is your sacrifice, Lord Jesus. And so may I mature in you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. Help me, God, to move in each of these areas to grow, to be more like Jesus. Move our family that direction, God. May we take serious what your word has spoken to us today. Not just hear it, but apply it. Give us wisdom today to build our home, our life, our worldview, not on sand, but on the rock of Christ Jesus. To be a wise people, loving you, knowing you, and making you known. That is our heart and our prayer. Now move in us and work in our lives, I pray, in the precious, powerful name of Jesus. Amen.